Hello, this is Shane Claiborne and Tony Campolo. This is a, a time we love. Every week we get to do this show together, and it's called Across the Pond. We're glad that you're joining us. It's called Across the Pond because we're over here in the U.S. That's where we record the show. And uh, right outside of Philadelphia, where we do our lives, uh, we, we record this show on the campus of Cabrini University, uh, right across the street from Eastern University, uh, two wonderful schools next door to each other. And that's where Tony and I met. Tony uh, was my sociology professor as I majored in sociology at Eastern, uh, where I now have an honorary doctorate. And, yes, uh, <laughs> I should refer to you as uh, uh, Dr. Shane. But don't get uppity with me and yeah. just don't think that's so magnificent because Shane they gave me an honorary doctorate too. So there, <laughs> there you go. So I always say, I'm not sure I want an honorary doctor doing surgery on me, yeah. but anyway, I'm glad to have the degree, but uh, yeah, we, we, we we love talking uh, about Jesus and justice. Uh, we, we like talking about what we call red letter Christianity. And um, if you've never joined the show before, uh, the old Bibles have the words of Jesus highlighted in red a lot of times in the Gospels. And so that's where it came from. Um, a friend of ours, Jim Wallace, was being interviewed by this uh, secular music radio talk show DJ down in uh, Tennessee. And the guy said, you guys like the red letters of the Bible. You should call yourselves red letter Christians. And uh, that's where it came from. So we, we like doing. it. And, yep. we, you know, a lot of times we have guests, but this week we, we decided we're just going to talk about um, something really deep so we sound smart. And, uh, Tony, won't you tell us about, you know, this idea of penal substitutionary atonement, which yeah. uh, don't turn off yet, but because we'll, we'll, <laughs> we're going we're to um, make it real for you. When I first heard the term, uh, the penal substitutionary doctrine of the atonement, I said, what? What are you talking about? And then they told me that... Uh, the penal substitutionary doctrine of the atonement is something that I have always believed in since I became a Christian. It says this, penal, that sin has to be punished. But Jesus stepped in and said, I'm willing to take the punishment for the sins that you have committed, Tony. And he's saying that to every human being. I don't know who you are or where you are. The penal substitutionary doctrine of the atonement says, I accept the uh, good news that the sins which should have been punished in me, the sins for which I should be punished and should suffer for, Jesus took those sins upon himself. Mm. On the cross of Calvary, when he died there, he somehow became the substitute. I should have been the one who was punished. On the cross, he was punished in my place, not just in my place, but in the place of every human being on the planet, everyone who turns to him. It says this, if I be lifted up in the scriptures, he's talking about his own crucifixion. If I be lifted up, I will draw all men and women unto myself. Mm. Uh, Jesus dies on the cross for the sins of the world. John 3.16, the most famous Bible verse in the entire Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Mm. The good news of the gospel that I grew up on said, Campolo, don't worry about being punished for your sins. Jesus took that punishment upon himself. Mm. Penal, that means punished. Substitutionary. Jesus took my place. He was the substitute for me. And on the cross, he died 
to take away the punishment for my sin. Uh, did I say that adequately? Yeah, you know, I and, and I think that one of the difficulties is there's some people that um, th- that they turn this into um, a God who it's like God had a gun pointing at humanity and took it off of us and put it on Jesus and killed Jesus. Yeah. And it, you end up, uh, if, if, if you, if I think you misunderstand what Jesus did on the cross or we confine it to something uh, that's just uh, a box we put God in, we can end up with a God that is very easy to fear, but very hard to love. And so when I look at, at Jesus, I, I see not, not God, needing more blood, but God be being willing to share God's own blood, you know, to mm-hmm. heal the world. Mm-hmm. And, and so what, when it says, uh, you know, in the scripture that everything that was lost in Adam and, and in the Garden of Eden is restored in Christ, this idea of atonement, I, I like to break it down and say at one moment, you know, yeah. it's, it's bringing us one with um, God again, restoring yeah. our relationships with each other and with the earth, with, with, uh, with God. So um, it's a beautiful thing, but it's, it's almost bigger than you can put in words on paper, you know, so that's what makes it so difficult. And that's what's wrong with theology. Uh, Theology is wonderful and we need it, but the theological statements made by great theologians can never tell the whole story. Mm. Uh, The second verse of an old hymn that I grew up singing uh, picks up what you just said and what I just tried to say. Uh, Here's the words, O wood with ink, the ocean full. And were the skies of parchment made, where every stalk on earth a quill, mm-hmm. and every man a scribe by trade, to write the love of God above would drain the oceans dry, nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. Mm-hmm. Whoa! It, you just can't encompass what Jesus accomplished on the cross. But theologians have tried to put it in ways that would help people understand Mm -hmm. something of it. And the penal substitutionary doctrine of the atonement is only one way of talking about what Jesus did on the cross. May I say there are 16 different ways of explaining what happened on the cross. 16. Yeah. And this this is just one of them. It's the one I grew up on. And when we try to limit what Jesus did on the cross to one theological formulation, uh, we we end up with distortions, and there are people who get upset with the penal substitutionary doctrine of the atonement. Now, and one of the problems with the folks that are really, really hyperly obsessed with this is that um, you you can end up with a punitive Christianity that's still violent, that's still uh, this idea that that Jesus's blood healed the world. I think is is gets lost in all that. So there's a lot of people that write me about the death penalty, and they literally say, how can God be against the death penalty when God used it to heal the world? Yeah. You're like, whoa, I think we've gotten that doctrine wrong. Like sure. when your doctrine ends up with a kind of violent uh, yeah. theology. <laughs> yeah. it, it, the, there are those who say, uh, we've got a God who uh, is very primitive, demands blood sacrifice. Isn't that what primitive religions do? Well, the truth is that the, it's so much greater than that. It's only uh, N.T. Wright, who is the big New Testament scholar uh, for both Catholics and Protestants around the world these days, uh, operating, I guess, out of the University of Aberdeen up there in Scotland. Uh, but he, N.T. Wright, is now— St. Andrews, re- right? Or no? oh, What's uh, that? I don't know. Yeah, maybe. I thought he was at St. Andrews there in Scotland. 
There you you corrected me, and you are right, and <laughs> I am wrong. It is St. Andrews. As a matter of fact, I think he's actually now teaching at Durham. Oh, yeah. So he's, but he's over there in the United Kingdom, but he's recognized as the greatest authority living on the New Testament. And he says, don't abandon the penal substitutionary doctrine of the atonement. It's a metaphor, a metaphor. You say, what's a metaphor? Uh, first time I said it to my daughter, it's a metaphor. She says, what's a metaphor? And I said, what do you think a metaphor is? She says, I think a metaphor is where you put cows to graze. <laughs> no, it's not metaphor. Dad joke it's metaphor. <laughs> metaphor. It points to something greater than itself. It points beyond yeah. itself. And that's what this does. So, uh, so well, there's another scholar, Rene Girard, you know, oh, yes, who's yes. done some good work on this. And, and you know, I, I think one of the things that, um, that you start to realize is that when we talk about Jesus as the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world, that it, he was the sacrifice, you know, the sacrificial lamb, um, you, you look back at the sacrificial system and there's been this evolution, you know, from child sacrifice and human sacrifice to animal sacrifice. And some would say Jesus was the sacrifice to end all sacrifices, mm -hmm. right? To blow up the system. Or as we say, I, I like to say, he was like water put on the electric chair to short circuit this whole idea of redemptive violence that, that we need violence. And, you know, my understanding of Gerard is that, it, that we needed a way to atone for our sins. So we, you know, God's working with us through this. But, you know, when Jesus dies to heal the world, it's, it's the end of that sacrificial system. So now if we continue to shed blood and call for the shedding of blood, we, we really um, de de desecrate, you know, what, what Jesus did or uh, undermine it. Yeah, just yesterday I had to answer a letter from somebody who wrote to us. And incidentally, you can write to us. I r respond to almost every letter that comes in. Uh, just write to us at Eastern University, uh, St. David's, Pennsylvania, 19087. Just Tony Campolo, Eastern University, uh, St. David's, Pennsylvania, 19087. Mm -hmm. And I respond to the letter. But just, just yesterday, I responded to a letter saying, I don't like this violent God. I would like a loving God. Well, God is loving. And God is opposed to violence. And in the cross, he does away with violence, as you just said, by making himself a sacrifice against violence. Mm. Uh, the reality is that there are other ways of looking at the cross. For instance, if you were a Christian during the first 300 years of uh, Christianity, you would have been taught in your church or your Sunday school the ransom theory of the atonement, mm -hmm. very interestingly. Um, once again, it has weaknesses. It has shortcomings. And uh, the ransom theory is uh, that we have been uh, captured by Satan. We have been captured by the evil one, and we are imprisoned by him. And we are not free to be the people that God meant for us to be. Uh, he has kidnapped us. Satan has kidnapped us. And God wants to free us from this kidnapping. And so uh, we are asked, basically, what, what ransom has to be paid? And the answer is, you have to give your life if you want to free these people from captivity to me. Mm. And so on the cross, Jesus is, and I can quote you verses that will pick this up. Jesus is given, quote unquote, as a ransom for many. So that's the ransom theory, that Satan demanded 
that a price be paid, and that price uh, was Jesus. And uh, Satan thought he had won. But the good news is that he didn't win. Three days after the death of Jesus on the cross, uh, Jesus is resurrected. And so uh, the ransom was paid, but Jesus was raised from the dead. C.S. Lewis picks this up uh, in his uh, in his uh, stories. What do they call those novels that, uh, that he wrote? Uh, Screw tape letters? The, no, not the, the novels. Uh, oh, the, uh, uh, yeah, I know what you mean. <laughs> yeah. Aslan, the lion. Yeah, yeah, that's right, the lion, yeah. right. Lion, witch, and wardrobe and yeah. all yeah. Yeah, that's right. So uh, you get these stories of, of the ransom being paid, uh, and that's one way of looking at the cross. Once again, it, it, it has its weaknesses, and the weaknesses, it makes Satan look more powerful than he really is. Well, and it also get, it, it, it's, it's incomplete because it's kind of cheap, too. It's like God wrote a blank check, so we're done, you know? Yeah. And, and, and I think the penal substitution can be like that. God paid the bill, and so we, we're off the hook. But you don't realize that if, if you really lean in and, and, and try to internalize this, like we, we respond to that love. It's interactive, and, and it's not just an exchange where, you know, we're, we're done now. And Catholic theologians like Tiard. Dijerdan and uh, Richard Rohr and Gerard, you you mentioned, uh, they uh, tend to help us to see the crucifixion in a broader perspective, in a deeper light. Uh, And uh, they they talk about, uh, listen to this term, which is brilliantly set forth by a Protestant theologian philosopher, uh, Soren Kierkegaard. Mm. You hear that name kicked around a lot in philosophical circles. He says, Jesus Christ is the eternally crucified. Mm. Then when Jesus hung on the cross, the eternal Christ was in him. Uh, some people say that, and I've heard sermons that said, when Jesus was on the cross uh, and said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That it was actually God the Father turning his back on, on his son, Jesus Christ, uh, because God the Father cannot look on sin. Mm. Well, that's the dumbest thing I ever heard. If God cannot look on sin, he can't look on me. He can't look on you. Furthermore, the scripture says this, that God the Father did not turn his back on Christ when he died on the cross. In spite of the fact that Jesus says on the cross, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? For a very simple reason. The Bible says that God, I'm quoting scripture, God was in Christ. Mm-hmm reconciling the world unto himself. I'm quoting from Scripture on that. Uh, so it's, it's an interesting th- theology about the cross, and it says something that is very, very important, that Jesus was a ransom for many, but the crucifixion and what happened on Calvary's cross is so much deeper that that theory does not encompass it. But that was the primary theory uh, for the first 300 years of the, of, of the church. Yeah. The ransom theory. We should stop just to say thanks for joining us, and especially this week, we're talking some deep theology here, penal substitu- uh, substitutionary doctrine of atonement. That's a yeah. mouthful you right there. You spit all over the <laughs> microphone on that one, man. But uh, we're, we're mostly talking about Jesus, and uh, thanks for listening in. Um, you know, the mystery of the cross we could ponder forever. It's almost like you, uh, like a diamond, you know, you turn it and it keeps taking new light, and, and that's why it's so difficult to just, you know, put a... Uh, three lines that try to capture everything that Jesus did on the cross. Um, it, it's not a 
puzzle to be solved. Uh, it's, you know, a wonder to be kind of fascinated with and to internalize. I, I think one of the things that James Cone and so many other liberation theologians said is that one, one of the things that Jesus did on the cross is join the despised and uh, the, the, the peoples of the world. Amen. So he, he ends up uh, a lot of black folks in our country, African-American enslaved people saw Jesus as a lynchee, that Jesus yep. was lynched, killed on a tree, and they found that this is the, the most profound act of divine solidarity. Um, so it's not that, that God needed more death, but God was actually willing to die, that that's what love does. And so it shows us a mirror um, of what God is like. Um, and, and God is um, suffering with those who suffer, especially those who are abused uh, and, and uh, killed by the state. So it gives us a certain... Um, way of thinking about violence as we worship a God who is a victim of violence every week. Like it should sensitize us to the victims of violence. It should, um, Jesus's uh, embrace of death wasn't to glorify death, but to subvert it and expose our violent hearts. So that's, uh, if we aren't careful, we end up with a very violent theology that undermines um, the very thing that that Jesus uh, did. The Methodist Church is a great way of understanding uh, the, the the conflict with the death penalty too. They say anytime we support capital punishment, we uh, deny the redemptive power of Jesus. So, like when we when we call for the death penalty or we use violence, we're going against the grain of what Jesus did on the cross. Jesus, you said it so well. Uh, in the cross, Jesus identifies with all the victims of violence in this world. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nobody can say when they're being violently uh, treated, uh, Jesus doesn't understand. Right, and, and Latin American theologians have, have still use the word crucified peoples of the world. And then yeah. you go to El Salvador, where Oscar Romero was killed, and they have a mural of the martyrs, and they all have the marks of the, the, the nails. Wow. You know, on, uh, stigmata on their hands. And you so know, you see, this is, this is God's solidarity with us. It takes me back to what I mentioned just a few minutes ago. Uh, Soren Kierkegaard talks about the eternally crucified. What does he mean by that? Because Jesus Christ is God in human flesh. Let me say that again. Because Jesus Christ is God in human flesh, he is able to grasp time as God. Mm. For God, all things happen simultaneously. Mm. God experiences everything as one eternal now. There is no passage of time with God. He is the Alpha, the Omega, Mm. the beginning and the end. And when Jesus Christ speaks, he says, before Abraham was, I am. That's present tense for me, which means no matter where you are on the continuum of time from the Alpha and the Omega of time, he is the Alpha Mm. and Omega. It's now with God, which means that right now you are simultaneous with Jesus on the cross. You say, hey, Campolo, there's 2,000 years separating me here and Christ on the cross back there. Yes, but in accord with Einstein, (laughs) there we go. All time is simultaneous. All time is squeezed into one eternal moment. And that's Jesus Christ on the cross. Everything is happening now with Mm. him. Mm which goes back to something you just said a moment ago. You cannot say, well, Christ died on the cross 2,000 years ago for my sin, 
and therefore I can, I can sin boldly, as Luther wrongly said. You cannot sing, sin boldly, because even as you sin here and now, Jesus on the cross, back there and then on Calvary's hill, is simultaneous with you sinning. So I said to a kid uh, at, at a Christian college who said, you know, I believe that when I'm screwing around, Jesus took care of that 2,000 years ago on the cross. Oh, no, it's now. Christ on the cross now. He is the eternally crucified, for as he hung on the cross, he was simultaneous with you in the very act of screaming. Or uh, in, in a similar vein as the this, this student, uh, the president of the United States says that he doesn't need to ask God for forgiveness. Yeah, because you know? it's all taken care <laughs> yeah, of. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's so, really... So, but I, you know, I, I think uh, if you're interested in some of this, there's some really great writers out there. Uh, we, we mentioned Tom N.T. Wright and... Um, um, uh, Rene Girard, Brian Zahn's doing some really good work on this. He wrote a, he wrote a book. There's a, the famous sermon of Jonathan Edwards, uh, sinners in the hands of an angry God. He wrote a book called sinners in the hands of a loving God. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and he does beautiful work on this. We need to have him on our show. He's a great voice, kind of challenging our, our cheap superficial reading of the cross and, and just, uh, the only lens of looking at that being, uh, you know, pe- penal substitution. That, yeah, that, because sometimes I hear penal substitutionary doctrine of the atonement preach, and that's all there is. And so you get some radio or television preacher articulating that and say, well, I now understand the cross. You will never fully understand the cross. Mm-hmm. The love of God expressed on Calvary is so profound and so deep that no theology can express it. And that's what we've been trying to say to you, our listening audience. It's, it's so profound. And uh, whenever you sin, uh, Christ on the cross uh, suffers the pain and agony of it all. If you go to a Protestant church, they have a cross in the front, mm. but Jesus isn't on it. If you go to a Catholic church, they have a cross up front, and Jesus is on it. Both are saying things that are true. We like to say in the Protestant church, he's, he's the resurrected Christ. Well, the church needs to hear that. The Catholics remind us, yes, but he is the eternally crucified. Every time you sin, Jesus winces in pain as he hangs on the cross 2,000 years ago. You say, can't be, that happened 2,000 years ago. Jesus Christ is God, and he is simultaneous on the cross with every sinner in every sin that's ever committed. And that's what Kierkegaard was saying when he said he is the eternally crucified. And so we need to learn from the Catholics Mm. that he's suffering even when we sin in the here and now. We need to learn from the Protestants. Nevertheless, he is the resurrected Jesus who is present with each of us at every point in our lives. Hallelujah. Need a little altar call now. That's right. And so there is an altar call. Wherever you are right now, the Christ who suffers when you sin is waiting where you are right here and now. And he wants you to open yourself up. And he says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If you open up, I will come in and be a living presence in your life. Christ is not only the eternally crucified, he is the eternally resurrected Christ who wants to be in your life. Will you invite him into your life right now? Will you invite him to be a living presence within you right now? Because with Christ, everything happens now. 
now, now. Well, we're coming to the end of our show. It's been a heavy theological yeah. discussion. Uh, come back next week if all of this was beyond you. Let me just say the cross is beyond us. Yeah. But we accept the truths of the gospel. He died in our place. In the 53rd chapter of Isaiah, it says, Surely he has borne our griefs, carried our sorrows. He was smitten for our iniquities. Mm. The substitutionary doctrine of the atonement. He was also the ransom theory of the atonement. He was also the eternally crucified. Oh, you say, is there no end to what you can say about Christ on the cross? The answer is no. Take us home. One of the early Christians said there's these, you know, different dynamics, the horizontal and the vertical, and God in the cross is restoring us to God. God's also reconciling us to each other. But the cross is also planted in the ground to remind us that we, God is healing the earth and reconciling us with our broken relationship with creation. So there's always pieces of this, I think, that we see fresh and new. So thanks for not not turning the dial when we're talking about penal substitutionary doctrine of the atonement. And um, it's beautiful stuff. More than anything, we're talking about uh, the most profound act of love and solidarity, what Jesus did on the cross. So, And what uh, we Protestants can learn is when you go into a Catholic church, sit there, and meditate upon Jesus on the cross. That's what Catholics do so much better than Protestants. So keep keep uh, following Jesus, and we'll see you. We'll ne- be on next week at this time.